one of the podcasts that I listen to is called This American Life. Perhaps many of you listen to that as well. It's a radio show. And on the most recent episode, uh, they had a story about a 23-year-old guy named Andrew Forstoffel who decided to walk across America. He left one day from Philadelphia and started walking absolutely no rides from Philadelphia all the way to California 4,000 miles later. And that the point, the reason why he did it is that he kind of didn't have a clue what he was going to do with his life. And so after graduation, he wanted to learn more about himself. He wanted to learn wisdom from other people. And so he set out on the road. And now he was on the road. He, he wore a sign. And the sign basically said, walking to listen. So as he wore the sign that said, walking to listen, he would meet people along the way. And the question that he would ask them is that if you could go back in time and give your 23-year-old a piece of advice, what would it be? Since he was 23 years old, he, he wanted wisdom for his life. He said, if you could find out, go back in time and give your 23-year-old self some wisdom, what would it be? And people would say things like, I wouldn't worry so much or I would treat people better. Appreciate more each day. Think before you speak, and while you got the ability, use it. Now, I kind of like that question because it's in line with the book of Proverbs, a great wisdom question. If you could give your 23-year-old self wisdom, advice, what would it be? Now, I know many of you are 23 right now, or younger than 23. Most of you are. And so for you, you can say, wow, what's some advice I can give me right now? Because whether you know it or not, the, 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 the foundation that you're laying here as a 23-year-old is going to be the person that you become when you're in your 70s and 80s. It, you build upon that year after year. Now, for those of you who are beyond 23, it's too late for you. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. You can still embrace wisdom no matter what age you're at because that's what the book of Proverbs is about, is about embracing wisdom. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue to ask that question. If we could give ourselves a piece of advice, 23 or not, what would it be? Because over the last year, we have been learning wisdom from the book of Proverbs, and we're starting to wrap things up. Believe it or not, next week will be our last week in Proverbs. We're finishing up. We've been following this guy named King Solomon give wisdom to his son. And as we cover some ground today, it's going to be very familiar. But today, we're going to hear a different voice besides Solomon's. We're going to hear the voice in chapter 30 of this guy named Augur. What a great name, Augur. It's in chapter 30. We know nothing about this guy. But we do know that as God used Solomon to bring wisdom... So he's using Augur to bring wisdom under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why, you may wonder, why are we covering chapter 30, verses 15 through 33? Well, the reason why we're covering those particular verses is because they're held together in numerical form. Now, hold, stick with me here. There'll be like this, this kind of pattern going on where he'll say, Two things, no three things, no four things. And he'll say, three things are like this, 
four things are like that. And you'll, you'll see this numerical pattern going on. And the whole point, don't, don't get tripped up by that. He's just trying to teach wisdom. It's his, his device that he is using to teach wisdom. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at five pieces of wisdom from these passages that you can give your 23-year-old self or even yourself right now. So I'm going to be having them up on the screen. But also, if you want to follow along on your smartphone, you can actually type in notes on your smartphone if you want to follow along. But let's start with the first one. What piece of advice, wisdom, would you give your 23-year-old self? Number one is, be content with what you have. God is enough. I'm going to spend more time on this point than the rest. Try to stick with me. This is the point I need the most. So let's go and jump into the text, starting with verse 15. Chapter 30, verse 15. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. You see, the leech is never content. I don't know if you've ever had a leech on you. It's not a good experience. But they have two suckers uh, that may be the daughters that are referred to here. And what this leech wants to do is suck more and more of your blood. And the imager here is of a person who is never content, but always sucking and wanting more and more stuff. They're just not content. They are never satisfied with what they have. It's the next thing or the next experience that they think that will be the ultimate, and they keep on sucking for more and more. But the leech is never satisfied. And so you may be thinking to yourself, huh, I know some people who are leeches. They're not content with what they have, and they want more and more stuff. Maybe you know people like that. But what I'm hoping that you'll do this morning is to think to yourself, perhaps I'm like that. Perhaps you're like that. Well, you're just not content. You want another experience. You want more and more stuff. There's this lack of contentment in your life. Let's learn more about the leech by turning now to four ways to describe and highlight the imagery of the leech. Look at verse 15 and 16. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. So as the greedy leech is never satisfied, so Sheol. Sheol is a reference to the grave. The grave is like, we always have room for one more. Never satisfied. The same with uh, the barren womb of a woman who desires to have a baby. And there's this, this dissatisfaction with the barrenness like Sarah in the Old Testament or Rachel who said, give me children or I shall die. And then there's dry land. Dry land's never satisfied, always ready to suck up more and more water. And fire's never satisfied. Fire can keep on going on forever and ever, just looking for more and more to consume. And the reason why we have these four imageries is because it's trying to highlight the greedy leech, the person who's never satisfied. Enough is never enough. And this person can even rebel against their parents. Look at the next verse, verse 17. The eye, by the way, parents, this is a great verse to use with your kids. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Isn't that great? 
you better obey me or the birds are going to get you. But right here is this child. Maybe it's a child who's rebelling against the backwardness of his parents. And he goes out in search of great wealth and great money and great things. And what happens? It all crashes in upon him and he ends up in some field with his eyeballs being plucked out and he's being gobbled up. Not good imagery. But there is an alternative. There is another way to live besides this never satisfied, not content. And it actually comes from the same chapter. Turn back, if you, if you will, in your, in your uh, still chapter 30, to verses 7 and 9. Look at verses 7 and 9. It's another numerical saying. Verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny, deny them not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Here's the deal. Augur doesn't want to be a liar. That's one of the things he desires. But he also doesn't want to be fixated on money. And the prayer that he basically prays is, uh, our Father who art in heaven, he's asking for daily bread. Doesn't want too much where he'll deny the Lord. Doesn't want where he basically has nothing and he has to go off and steal. He's asking for his daily bread. He wants to be content with what God chooses to provide in the daily bread, whatever God chooses to give in his time and his way. This is not just an Old Testament idea. It's also a New Testament idea of being content with whatever God chooses to provide. Let me put up for you uh, what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. Upon the screen, you'll see Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I know that we have this Philippians verse plastered on people's shirts when they're in sporting events. I can do all things through Christ. Well, actually, the context is I can do all things through Christ who chooses to give me a lot or he chooses to give me very little. I have learned to be content with Christ and what he chooses to provide for me. And one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible comes from the book of Hebrews. I'll put it up for you as well. Hebrews 13.5, one of my favorite verses. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If I could go back to my 23-year-old self, I would force my 23-year-old self to live in these verses. I would tell my 23-year-old self, do not strive, do not dream, do not scheme on how to get rich. Be content with God and God alone. I would try to force that into my heart at 23. Get that. Get it quick. Get that truth that God is enough. Many of you are believers, right? You're Christians. This is what happens when you become a Christian. You realize that without God, you are nothing, you have nothing, you're a sinner, you're rebellious, and then God sends his son Jesus, right? He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He buries, he raises again. And the offer is if you put your faith in Jesus, you can have your sins forgiven You could be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And get this, 
you have a relationship with God now. And the Bible says that God is now your treasure. In him you have fullness. You have all the riches you could possibly want. Do you believe that for those of you who become Christians? If that is the case, why would you ever decide in your life that God is not enough? That you need just one more thing or one more experience and then you'll be satisfied and then you can say that's enough. If you're a believer, in the gospel, you've been given everything in the riches of Jesus. God is enough. And I believe if you're not careful, one of the biggest things that will trip us all up, believer or not, things that will trip you up is greed. A dis, just this discontented heart where you want more. But my brothers and sisters, not only are you going to be in eternity one day, not only will you die with nothing one day, but one day many of you will age. Okay, all of you will. And some of you may end up in nursing homes. And I spent most of my 20s in nursing homes taking care of my grandmother. And while I would hang out in nursing homes, I would hang out with people who are renting their bed eating at a community table, and often not even wearing their own clothes. Because they take the clothes, they wash them, they can bring them back, and maybe they'll end up back in your room or not. So my grandmother had some different fashions every day. Not even her own. And for many people, this is a depressing, depressing time of life where they see they have lost everything. And yet, I met so many people who had joy and who had contentment because in the midst of losing everything, they were like, God is enough. God is enough. And in your 20s, that disposition builds to your 70s and your 80s where you can be content. You don't need any more. God's enough. Okay, that was my longest point. Be much faster after that. Let's move on to number two. What piece of wisdom or advice would you give your 23-year-old self? Number two, enjoy the wife of your youth. Avoid all sex, sexual exploration outside of marriage. All right, verse 18. Look at verse 18. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. Now, understand they're trying to highlight the fourth thing here. That's just why he's doing this scheme. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. So he's describing things of wonder and amazement. And the reason why he's highlighting these things is he's trying to point to the greatest thing on his list, which is sexual intimacy. The Bible, the Bible doesn't shy away from talking about sexual intimacy. God created sex to be enjoyed within marriage. God doesn't shy away from talking about sex. And so look at the imagery here. He says, look, an eagle, when it flies through the sky, it's so effortlessly, you're like, well, that's really cool. Or a snake, look at a snake on a rock. You're like, how did the snake do that? That's amazing. Or, or, Or the other imagery they have here is a ship moving along on the top of the water with smooth sailing. It's amazing. But he highlights here, but a man and a virgin and sexual and marital intimacy is too wonderful and beyond explanation. 
It's like, wow, God created such a wonderful thing that it can't even be explained. Now, I know that there are some people who want to be kind of sarcastic, and they would say things like, two virgins should never marry one another because if two virgins married one another on their honeymoon, they would not know what to do. Can you imagine two virgins marrying one another and saying they do not know what to do? But I will tell you this, they will have a lot of fun figuring it out because God has created something that is so wonderful. They're going to figure it out. It's not something to be misused. It is for marriage. It's for intimacy within marriage. It is a great thing. It's such a great thing that it's highlighted here in the Bible. But there is an opposite. The opposite is seen in verse 20. It's the sexual exploration outside of marriage. Look at verse 20. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. This is sex outside of the marriage. It's, cre- it's, like, it's just casual. Uh, you know, our terminology of casual sex. Why is it called casual sex? Well, it's just like eating a meal. Let's just go to lunch. Have a meal. It's no big deal. Let's go out and have sex, casual sex. It's, it's no big deal. It's just like eating. But it is a big deal. And I guarantee you, you are not going to sit around 23-year-olds You're not going to sit around one day in your 70s and 80s. You're not going to think to yourself, you know, I really wish I would have had more premarital sex. You're not going to think to yourself, I really wish I would have committed adultery far more than I did. And you're never going to say, you know, man, I just didn't look at enough pornography. You see, those are the things that are going to come back to haunt you. And yes, they are forgiven in Jesus Christ. But why branch out to have so many regrets of foolishness? That's why, like a fire stays in the fireplace, sex is for within marriage to be enjoyed, but outside of that, it's destructive. No sexual exploration outside of marriage. Enjoy, for those of you who are married, the mystery and keep it within marriage. Let's continue on. Number three, what piece of advice would you give your 23-year-old self? Number three, stay faithful to your calling. Don't overreach. Let's look at some examples of overreaching beyond their calling. Look at verse 21. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king and a fool when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Aren't these fun? I mean, have you ever seen these before? You're like, what is going on here? Maybe you've never read these before. These are really cool. And the reason why this one's here, it's talking about things that are out of place. Or people who find themselves in situations where they have overreached or they're out of bounds. For example, the servant, when he becomes king... Great, he may become a king, but he doesn't know how to rule. He has no clue how to rule. Or the fool, he may be filled with food and start to eat like a king, but a a fool, fool is still a fool. But then this unloved woman who finally gets a husband, 
And the idea is maybe she doesn't handle it so well. All the people who dissed her and dismissed her while she was single, now she finally gets a husband. She's like, how do you like me now? And she goes off on them. She can't handle it. And the last one is of this maidservant displacing her mistress. Somehow she stole her, the mistress's husband away, and now she's occupying that role, and it's out of bounds. You can think of Hagar and, and, and Sarah in the Old Testament. It didn't go so well. These are situations that causes the earth to tremble as people are out of bounds in their new positions or their new roles. And they're just general observations on society, a general observation when the social order is turned upside down. But I think we can take the observation and turn it into wisdom for our lives because there are situations and times when we are reaching beyond our calling and gifting in life, and we're out of bounds. We start to try to strive for things that are not for us to strive for. We're not gifted to do them. We're stepping outside of our calling, and it's not going to go well for us. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Romans 12.3. It's a great verse, Romans 12.3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Every single person in here has been given certain gifts, certain calling on your life. Be careful that you don't start to elevate yourself beyond your gifting, calling, and ability. So may your assessment of yourself be sober. Some of you need to grab your 23-year-old self, or whatever age you are, grab yourself. And if you're, or if you're young, really do this now. If you're in college, do this now. Grab yourself, and contrary to everything you've been told in your life by your parents, all your friends, all your coaches, all your teachers, grab yourself and say, you are not that awesome. I know we're in a self-esteem society, I know everybody gets a trophy growing up. I know that we are taught that we are so awesome that we can accomplish anything. We can be the president of the United States. We need to sometimes have a more sober judgment on ourselves. That we are called and gifted by God in a different way than others. You're not like me. I'm not like you. And if we're not careful, we'll start to turn our heads to the side and say, you know what? I'd really like to do what you're doing. I don't really like my gifting. I want to do what you And when you do that, you're overreaching outside of your calling. You're trying to turn things upside down. And you might find yourself pursuing a job, pursuing a degree, pursuing a calling, maybe even pursuing a ministry that that's just not you. You're not, you're not gifted or called to do it. And if you ended up doing it, you would be miserable, and you'd make a mess of it. It's pretty important to know yourself. You know your own gifts. Know what you're kind of passionate about doing, and be careful. Don't overreach. Be content with what you've been called to do, and be faithful to do it. Some of you right now in your life need to be faithful. You need to be faithful. You're in those years where you've been doing the same thing for a lot. You need to be faithful. You're, you're, you're thinking about branching out beyond, and it might be an overreach. Maybe it's the time enough you need to be faithful. Because let me tell you this. I know you've had a lot of transitions in life. I know many of you are starting something new every single month, every single six months, every single year. You're, you're, you're going here, here, and here. Life is not always like that. Some seasons in life, you need to be faithful. 
And if you're not careful, you'll overreach. And you'll end up doing something that's beyond your gifting and calling. You need to discern that. I can't always discern that for you. That's welcome with the Lord. You need to discern that. But don't overreach. Be faithful. Number four, piece of wisdom. Give to your 23-year-old self. Number four, leverage wisdom. Weakness is not an excuse. Here's another fun one. This is a really good one. So let's look at these really small and weak creatures who are very wise. Look at verse 24. These are, this, is, this is cool. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizards you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. So these are creatures who are not very impressive, and yet they leverage wisdom. Take the ants, for example. Many of you can squish the ants. They're not very strong. But ants will probably outplan you. They'll be out-diligent to you. They always make sure they have plenty of food. And, and the rock badgers... Well, they're, they're little creatures, but they're up navigating the cliffs, and they're hiding from their attackers. They're wise. And the locusts, well, they have no centralized leader, but they're wise enough to stick together in unity and fight. And lizards, man, you can catch those little dudes in your hand. You're like, I'm going to get you, lizard. I'm going to catch you in my hand. And that lizard looks you in the eye and says, yeah, but you know what? As soon as you let me go, I'm going to run into that palace. Let me see you try to get into that palace because lizards are bold. The idea here is these, these creatures who have a variety of disadvantages, but they leverage their wisdom. And that's what the wisdom we're trying to pass on to you. Because many of you have disadvantages. Some of those we don't even know. I know some of you, and some of you I don't know, have reoccurring physical problems. Some of you have reoccurring mental problems or learning disabilities. Some of you have a, a record, a police record from some past. Some of you are having difficulties in your marriage. Some of you have been divorced. Some of you have rebellious kids. Some of you have lost your job. What, what I'm trying to get at here is there are a variety of things that happen in your life that can make you feel small, weak, and at a disadvantage. And that the Bible is very clear that you can use this disadvantage, this weakness, and in the midst of it, leverage wisdom for the glory of God. And I'm wondering, are you leveraging wisdom in your weakness, or are you using your weakness as an excuse to opt out? Some of you are using your weakness as an excuse to opt out of responsibility of moving forward and living for the way God has called you to live. And yet God is saying, hey, hey, in your weakness, move forward in wisdom, in his strength, in his power. Some of us are waiting till we're at full strength before we do anything, and uh, that seems to be the opposite message from the Bible, that in our weakness we can move out in strength and power and wisdom. I mean, the Apostle Paul is a clear example. Uh, he had something going on, this thorn, not sure what it was, but let me put this up for you in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, check out this. If you want to underline this in your Bible, this is good. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. I don't know about you, but I, I don't think I have ever boasted in my weakness. Wow. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, <laughs> insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's amazing. He's like, I'm going to go up to my weakness. I'm going to put my arms around my weakness. I will embrace my weakness because when I am weak, Christ's power and strength is exhibited through me. Like, who thinks like that? Does anybody here think like that? Weakness, bring it on. I want it. Get closer to me. Because in that way, Christ and his power can be seen through me. I, I just think it's amazing about leveraging wisdom, getting in the word. I'm going to squeeze every ounce of wisdom out of God and his word in my weakness. Since I've been a pastor, I've been a pastor at two churches now, spanning over 16 years, and I have contemplated leaving the ministry probably about 689 times. It's like I'm thinking about that all the time. Like, why would I think about that? I mean, it seems so unspiritual. You're like, you're supposed to be this called pastor, and you're never supposed to doubt this or that. Are you kidding me? Because you know what happens to me? I feel weak more often than strong. I feel broken. I feel messed up. And you know what I think to myself? God, I'm out of here, and you need to put someone else in ministry that feels strong and has it all together. But then I remember something. I've read this book before. And if you ever read this book, the Bible, most of the leaders in here have issues, don't they? They're not very strong at all. They're, they're weak. They have problems. They have sins. They do foolish things. So it's not like God's only going to use the strong and put together leaders. Are you kidding me? Does one even exist? So stop using your weakness as an excuse to opt out. What are you doing? We're all weak. God uses us, and he wants us to leverage wisdom, seek his power, and to be used, yes, even in our weaknesses. No more excuses. No more excuses. And then the last one. What piece of advice would you give or wisdom would you give to your 23-year-old self? Here's a good one. Be humble at every opportunity. Do not exalt yourself as the king. These are fun. Uh, these are some instances of strength and pride. Now, these are trying to highlight the king. Let's finish up here. Verse 29. Three things are stately in their tread. Four are stately in their stride. The lion, which is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back from any. The strutting rooster, the he-goat, and a king whose army is with him. The lion, mighty beast, backs down from no one. The rooster, he struts his stuff. The he-goat is the head of the flock. But the highlight is the king who has his mighty army, who's got his back. The king is the man. He can walk boldly and proudly into war, and no one better mess with him. And then the text 
takes a twist, and it goes like this. The king is the king, and he is the man, but you are not. And if you think that you're awesome, and maybe you're trying to play the king or to walk in pride, you better stop it. In fact, put your hand over your mouth or you're going to get punched in the nose. Something like that. Let's finish up. This is what it says. Verse 32. If you've been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you've been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. (laughs) For pressing milk produces curds. Pressing in the nose produces blood. And pressing anger produces strife. Like that. So those who have exalted themselves as something awesome in their pride, it can create a lot of anger. It can create a lot of conflict. In fact, you may get punched in your nose and bleed out if you're not careful. Because wouldn't you agree that nothing makes another person so angry than pride? When you are right and never wrong, that makes someone else so angry. You can see it in relationships and marriage and church. There's a lot of strife. And, and if there's a lot of arguments and strife that, that follows you around, it may be that you are a proud person. So if you're always getting into it, people, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. So let me give you this word of encouragement. You are not the king. You are not the queen. So... This week, if you start to get into an argument with someone else who tries to assert that they are right, just tell them, you're not the king, you're not the queen, and maybe someone will say it back to you as well. It'll be very pleasant. But the idea is, is that we have one king, and that's King Jesus, and we bow to him alone, and we serve others. And, and I think it would be marvelous if you could grasp this concept that you're not God, you're not the king, you're not the queen. You are sent here to serve the king and to serve others. If you, if you really get this, those who walk in humility really do serve other people. Let me show you a little picture I saw last night of uh, people serving. I, I was blown away. The contrast was amazing. So last night, our church, I think one of the ethos communities, the South Campus Ethos Community, um, what they did, they did an outreach event for the youth where they had a lot of video games set up in a coffee house called JJ Java. And I was dropping off this group of teenagers there at this outreach. Um, and the people that were in there running the outreach are, there's, a lot of them are just students. At Northwestern are people in their 20s. They're there to serve and reach kids for Christ. So I'm driving there, and man... You know what I'm talking about. It's party weekend, right? Am I lying? It's, it's party weekend on campus, right? So I'm walking, like people were just pulling kegs down the sidewalk and drinking and playing drinking games all over the place. I'm like, wow. And I'm, tell, I'm like telling my kids, look, look at those kegs. Look at those kegs. And so I'm like, see, like, don't do that stuff. Red solo cups. Remember that? Yeah, everywhere, yeah. And so, so I'm like, stay away from And, and then I'm like, Wow, but in this coffee house, we have college students who are serving. They serve the king, and they're serving other people. It was an amazing contrast. I was very very built up and encouraged. 
So the wisdom question today is, what piece of wisdom would you give your 23-year-old self? What piece of wisdom would you give yourself right now? And let's make it even more fun and say this. Pick one. Just pick one that you will work on over the summer. Because this is what happens over the summer. Same thing happens at Christmas break. Happens over the summer. Over the summer, people get out of their routines, and when they get out of their routines, they have this tendency to fall away from the Lord. It just happens. And this summer, you will have uh, many, of it, many attacks, many temptations, and some of you, by fall, will not be following the Lord. I hope that's not the case, but as often is the case. Come back in the fall, people bailed on Jesus. I don't know what happens. So maybe pick one that you want to work on over the summer. Like, what is it? Do you need to work on contentment? Where God needs to be enough? You need to stop scheming and striving and reaching for more and more riches? Maybe that's your thing. Perhaps this summer, what you need to focus on is not necessarily contentment, but you should have zero tolerance for sexual exploration. Some of you need to, you need, this needs to be the last day of your sexual exploration outside of marriage. You say, you know what? This is a thing that I'm going to deal with starting today all summer. No more sexual exploration outside of marriage. Or maybe you're the kind of person that's here and you know, what you need to focus on is what God has called you to do. You need to quit overreaching, quit going out of bounds, and you need to be faithful what God's called you to do. And, and it may be the most boring summer you've ever had in your life because you're going to be faithful and you're calling and you're gifting. Or maybe you need to get to a point where you say, you know what? I'm not going to opt out anymore. I'm going to let God use me in my weakness. And you're going to start serving the Lord. Start being faithful and quit making excuses. And the last one is the one that I worked on, and I'm still working on, but I worked on back in the summer of 1991. Boy, it's a long time ago. That summer... Not only did I get saved, but God started teaching me, a very proud young man, very arrogant young man, he started teaching me what it means to serve other people. <laughs> I was a, a counselor at a camp called Canicook, and the motto of the camp was, I'm third. You got that concept? I'm third. God first, others second, I'm third. I wish it was more like I'm second because I'm cool with God being first, but let me be next in line. But the, the concept was I'm third, so I had to learn how to serve other people. I've not been good at that. So God first, serving others. Like others get to eat before me. Others get to go before me. I'll get to defer to others. And it's 1991, and I want to tell you that I have since mastered being a servant. No, I've not mastered being a servant. That's something I'm still striving to work on. But it almost has to start where you say, you know what? This is the summer of learning how to serve, of putting others before me, and serving them as God has served me in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you have brought us salvation in Jesus for those who have believed. And I just ask, Lord, that you would be continuing to work in our hearts.
that no matter what age that we are, that we can embrace wisdom now in Jesus and start to live it out. And I know that some of these people in here will be the last time they're here today, maybe sometime the last time they're here ever. But Lord, may they take wisdom in you and walk in it this summer. May they focus on something, contentment. Some of us are just not content. Some of us are failing to be faithful right now. We need to be faithful in what you call us to do. Some are, are locked in sexual morality. Lord, may you show them there's freedom. And Lord, I just ask that we would start to serve other people, that you're the king, we're not. We quit making everything about us and make it more and more about you. Empower us, give us your grace, change us to embrace your wisdom and not wait to another day, not wait for another age. Embrace your wisdom today. In Jesus' name, amen.